Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. And we're going to start reading in verse 1 and move down to verse 7. Joshua 4, verses 1 through 7. Now you may be wondering, well, I thought we were still talking about the church. The church is, is our series. And so, how are you going to find the church in the Old Testament? Well, you'll just have to wait to find out. Let's start reading here from God's Word in Joshua chapter 4. Now, just to set up the context, you remember what happens in Deuteronomy. Uh, Even backing up to Numbers, the people do not go into the land because they do not believe God. Joshua being one of the spies that came back and said, hey, we can take it with God's help. The other ten said, we can't. All of them died in the wilderness. That entire generation died in the wilderness. Uh, In Deuteronomy, you have a renewing of the covenant with a new generation. So the first covenant was made at Mount Sinai with Moses and that that old generation. They refused to go into the land, refused to obey God, and therefore died in the wilderness. This new generation comes there at the plains of Moab, which is right outside the promised land, where Israel is today, right outside of Jordan, which is kind of a barrier for them. And they, God makes another covenant with them in Deuteronomy and renews covenant with them and says, if you obey me, you, you can take the land. I will give you the land. It's, it's not, you know, people say Joshua is all about a conquest and very militaristic, but if you read it carefully, God gives them the land. They don't even have to take it by force. He gives it to them. Uh, same thing here when they meet Jericho in chapter 6. Before that, however, they have to cross the Jordan. And this is the story that we find ourselves in today is Israel crossing the Jordan. They have with them the Ark of the Covenant. And we want to pick up in chapter 4 here. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, who was the successor of Moses, remember, take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in the time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. Now we pray that the Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds and would challenge us in our hearts to respond to You in repentance and in true faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
So, this morning's message is entitled, The Church is Us. Might sound a little grammatically weird, but the church is us. We are the church in this room. And we've been talking about the church is born, the church is one, the church is holy, the church is Catholic, the church is apostolic. And now the church, with all those marks of the church, with all those definitions that we've looked at of what it means to be the church, now we say to ourselves, almost like the Israelites had to remind themselves of who they were, we say to ourselves, we too are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ Himself. We are the family of God. We are the very presence of God in the world. Quite a daunting reminder. Much like the Israelites, they were reminded in Deuteronomy that they are the people of God. They were the community of God. And if they stayed faithful to Him, He would give them uh, a blessing. A blessing of land. A blessing of fame. A blessing of family. You know, we're never blessed, as we say here at Harvest Point, just to be blessed. We're blessed so that we can be a blessing. Amen. It's never just about us accumulating. Uh, rather, we are God's occasion. We are the instruments by which He makes music in the world. That He forwards His kingdom in the world. We are that occasion. And so too was Joshua. So too were the people of Israel. Here in this moment, they, they, there's a miracle that happens in chapter 3. The priests are carrying uh, the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the Ark of the Covenant is a box that contains... Most of all, most sacred to them, the law. So God actually wrote the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments were broken by Moses, remember, uh, because of the people's disobedience, and then rewritten and placed in the Ark of the Covenant alongside uh, a jar of manna, which represented their time in the wilderness, and also Aaron's budding rod, which represented God's miraculous uh, exit out of Egypt for them. So, this, this box, this ark, as it's called, of God's covenant, His relationship with them, was the most sacred thing in all of Israel. You remember where they placed it? They placed it in the Holy of Holies. And the way they would set up their camp, which was not unusual to the ancient Near Eastern world was around the commander, around the general. So when an army was moving throughout the ancient world, what they would do is put the guy in charge in the middle and everyone else around him, much like the Secret Service does. They create a cushion around the president as he's in the center. So too, Israel put their general right in the middle. Right in the middle of the camp. And all 12 tribes circled the tabernacle. Now remember, they had a portable tabernacle until they finally, with David, make Jerusalem the capital and then with Solomon build the temple and place it there. But the Ark of the Covenant was the most sacred symbol in Israel. It symbolized God's very presence among them. 
It contained God's Word. They're told when they get up to the Jordan that the priests go stand in it, and as soon as they stand in it, it dries up. And they are able to walk across, much like the Red Sea instance, on dry ground. That's in chapter 3. And then what God tells Joshua to do is get these stones that they were standing on, on dry land, and bring them out and place them as a symbol, a reminder, a witness even, to what God had done. What God had done to bring them to that point, what God was going to do by giving them the land, it was put up, as He says there, as a symbol. Now you say, well, what does that have to do with us being the church? Well, here's the thing. The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned once in the New Testament. In Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19. Yeah, it's apocalyptic. It's found in that odd book of Revelation. But what is said is all of a sudden, John sees in heaven God's temple. And then in God's temple, it's opened, and all of a sudden he sees the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you know anything about the Ark of the Covenant, if you ever watch Indiana Jones and all, uh, you know it's lost. No one knows where it really is. Be a nice artifact to, to dig up someday, to come upon someday, but so far there hasn't been an Indiana Jones to find it. But God knows where His ark is, the ark of the covenant. Now, the term ark can mean something to hold or something that has something in it. So, for instance, the ark of Noah, right? Held all the animals. And it held Noah and his family. Here the Ark of the Covenant is a box that holds these sacred items to Israel. Representing really even the very presence of God. Now, can you think of someone else, another Ark, that holds the very presence of God for us? (laughs) Jesus Christ Himself. He is God's if you will, new Ark of the Covenant. In other words, He too comes bearing God's Word, holding the very presence of God in the flesh. He becomes for us our brother. Fully God and fully Human. He's not just the symbol, but the reality as well. So oftentimes, God gives Israel symbols. You know what a symbol is? It's a ring. This symbolizes my marriage. It's not my marriage. In other words, if I were to lose it, That doesn't mean my marriage is lost. Now, if you're pagan, you would think that once the symbol is dropped, that my marriage will be dropped. If the symbol is lost, the marriage is lost. This is the way the the pagan mindset operates. That's why omens are important. You see a black cat, a broken mirror, you walk under a ladder. Something in the symbol affects the reality. 
Not in the Bible. The symbol is itself a representation and yet is not the reality. In other words, the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's presence. And he was very serious about it, wasn't he? I mean, do you remember the fellow who infamously reached out and tried to to grab the Ark so it wouldn't fall over and break? And he died. God struck him dead. He was doing a good thing and kind of one of those situations where he's at the wrong place at the wrong time. And it was really David's fault, if you read on, especially the the instructions, they were to carry it on poles far away from it. And here's David, he just lops it on on a wagon, says, let's get it there. And this poor fellow who's trying to do a good deed God says, hey, uh, by the way, I'm not dead, and I'm not in a box. You see, what they confused, just like the pagans did, was they said the symbol is the reality. So here's God. Oh, we're going to win this war, all right. We're going to bring God out here. Let's wheel Him out here. You remember when they tried this? And the ark was lost. (laughs) because God is not in a box. We try to box Him in. We like that. It's comfortable for us to keep Him in a box. In our mind, we control who He is, what He's able to do, what He's able to do in our hearts. We like a God that is made up because we're the ones who made Him up. And we're very comfortable with our own imagination. But that is idolatry. The oldest sin in the book. And it's something that we continually in America commit is idolatry. Because we don't read God's Word and study who He really is. Therefore, we have to imagine Him in our heads and we begin to become comfortable in our heads with a God who is essentially a grandfather that hands out candy and can't see very well. And really doesn't work in our world. It's really just up to us to make the best of things. And then all of a sudden someone dies. Then all of a sudden something happens. You know, interestingly, uh, this came to mind, uh, and then I found out later that Garrett had went deep sea fishing and it made sense to me, but the one time I went deep sea fishing... You know, we're out in the middle of the ocean. We're 26 miles off the coast. I can't see anything. I've never been out that far. And, and they tell me, you know, they tell me what to do, and I'm doing everything they say, and they just say, hey, look, we're going to put some bait on here, and you drop this massive weight all the way down to the ocean floor. You pull it up about 15 times, and we'll see what happens. So, I mean, I do this. I'm like, man, this is odd. I mean, just out in the middle. How do, you, how do you know even where we are, you know? And so I do it, and all of a sudden, boom. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hey, 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 whoa, you know, and I've got something on the line now. Something is alive on the other end. You smell what I'm stepping in here? Sometimes we play church. We kind of just pray because that's what we're supposed to do. We read our Bible because that's, well, that's what we're supposed to do. We go to church because, well, we need to. It's a good thing. But we're not really expecting to catch anything on the other end. Until all of a sudden, God shows up. All of a sudden, you get a tug on the reel. 
It's a very dangerous thing to play church, to play Christian. It's dangerous for your soul. I've done it. I was a professional. I was a preacher's kid. I know how to play the game. And there are many people who play the game without ever expecting to get hit. Without ever expecting a tug at the other end. As a Christian, God is alive. He is in this very room. And He can speak to your heart. That is not something of old. No, He is the God who speaks. It's how He created the entire world. He spoke it into existence by His Word. Now His Word is also, just like the Ark of the Covenant, found both in the, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He creates by His Word. He gives the prophets His Word. He gives Moses His Word. He gives Abraham His Word. And here in our text, He gives Joshua His Word. And so too, the Word becomes flesh. (laughs) It's fascinating when you read the Bible, God is always sending a person. He never sends a memo. Only. You know, the government's quite impersonal with my taxes. Maybe that's a good thing. Probably wouldn't want somebody to show up to collect them. They did that in the ancient world and didn't work out very well for those people. They just send me a bill. They just send me a piece of paper. God doesn't just send a piece of paper. He doesn't just send an impersonal book. But instead, He always is in the business of sending a person. So, He sends Abraham. He sends Moses. He sends Elijah. He sends Elisha. He sends Isaiah. He sends Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Malachi. John the Baptist, Jesus. He takes His Word and wraps it in flesh and lives it out before us. And isn't that helpful? It's one thing to read about how to play baseball. It's a whole different thing to play it. I mean, you ever try to play a new card game? Somebody's trying to tell you, and you need this, oh, oh, and and this, and oh, oh, hang on, oh, and don't forget this, and and be sure to make, let's just play it, let's just play the game, I'll be bad at it, but I'll learn. God knows that we need visual aid, and so He sends people, He sends Jesus, now He sends Bobby. Now he sends Garrett. Now he sends Casey. You see what I'm saying? We are his church. We are his body. We are his ambassadors. We represent him. We speak for him. We live for him. You see, we now are the Word made flesh. We're not just to know this Word and beat people over the head or use it against them, but we are to live it before them. We are, as the liturgy says, to become the Gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That's our life. That's our calling. The Word was made flesh, and the Word can dwell in us. God in us. <laughs> Acts chapter 14 and 17 says that God at no time has ever left the world without a witness. Ever. There's never been one point in history where it was just truly the Dark Ages. No, there's always been that remnant. Remember the, remember the reading this morning about Elijah? God, it's only me. Everybody's turned. All the prophets are dead. I'm the only one and I've fled. God says, no you're not. I've got people that you don't even know about. Quit belly aching and get up. You serve the risen God. The living God. I own everything. (laughs) We get so depressed politically. We get so depressed at work or in our financial situation. Get up! God has people that you don't even know about that are ready to help if you would be a receiver. If you would actually look for, if you actually drop the line. Most of us are just sitting on the edge of the boat saying, I can't catch any fish. Well, you haven't even dropped the line. You've not been grounded in the Word enough for the, for the bait to go down. You're just willy-nillying life. Just trying to make it. Yes, most people, how you doing? No, just trying to make it. That's not the way Christians are to live. We're to give away our life. I'm just trying to make it. No, we're trying to build something here. We're trying to grow something here for the kingdom of God. Something to share with all of the world. It's right here on the front of our bulletin. We're growing something to share. We don't have a garden here of holiness just to keep it ourselves and say, look how good we are. But instead to share with the world. And that starts at your business. That starts with your neighbors. It starts with you going beyond the wave. You know the wave. You see them and you wave and... Hi. Let me close the garage real quick. Got out of that one. No, it's going beyond the wave. How are you? How are you doing? You think Jesus hid from people? (laughs) The only time He hid from people was early in the morning when people are not out to meet with His Father in prayer. The rest of the time He gave of Himself wasn't just concerned with His own kingdom. Most of us are trying to build our own kingdom to the demise of God's. And in the end, if you build your own, it's just playing in sand. One thing will wash it all away, won't it? Haven't you noticed that? But not His kingdom. Not His work. You may not be rewarded in this life, but you'll be a superstar in heaven. And you're going to spend a lot longer in eternity than you will here. So why not make the investment? Now, Joshua understood this. And so he listened to the Word of God. He, for the people of Israel, became that Word. And so he set up a pile of rocks. (laughs) He set up a pile of stones. This is where you get that term Ebenezer from, you know. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Ebenezer is a stone that is for remembering. A stone of remembrance. 
there ought to be something in our life that points people to Jesus Christ and His work. You know, here they're told to build up this thing of stones. One day there's going to be, I want you to envision, a pile that's left of what was your life. You know, you're not going to have control over that. When you die, you can't come back and say, oh, there's an asterisk beside that. (laughs) There's an addendum to that one. No, you lived the way you lived, and now you're dead, and it's over. And now there's this pile of your life. Is it going to point to Christ? What's left? As my father always says, you end up preaching your own funeral. The preacher can get up there and say whatever he wants to say, but you've already preached your funeral. So what are you living for? Are you living to, to be one of those stones as in, as in Hebrews it talks about? Where you are being placed? Whereas in 1 Peter where he says you're being placed as living stones? Where Paul talks about we are all being built up into the kingdom of God? Is that the kind of stones? Or are we the stones that reject the cornerstone? Are we falling in line with Christ in this building that He is building? Or are we trying to do our own thing over here? Are we the rogue brick? The broken brick? Let me tell you something. He can repair you. If you've been building your own little thing, And it's really just sand. He can firm that sand up into brick. You know, brick's made of sand. But you have to let Him. You have to recognize that you are doing your own thing. You have to come to grips with the fact that this is not about you. It's a tough place to be. It's a tough place for Christians to find themselves. They think, God has forgiven me of my sins. Praise be to God. I'm a new creation. And yet what they find in themselves is a principle at work that is called the flesh. That still wars against the Spirit. And God can take care of that. He can take care of our sin. Not just save us out of sin, forgive us of sin, but He can save us from ourselves. This is what David cried out, wasn't it, in Psalm 51? Lord, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me in here. There's something still... The actions that I'm doing, the sin that you commit, that's a symptom of something deeper, a root, that He must uproot if you're ever going to be founded in Christ. It's called sanctification. It's a big word for it. He wants to do that in you. He wants to do it in us because the church is holy. His church, His body, His bride is blameless. We're not to live in the shame of sin, but in the authority of Christ. So, 
do you know this new Ark of the Covenant? It's not just a box. (laughs) God's outside of the box now. He's in the flesh. Jesus Christ took on flesh for us. It's still in His flesh, even now glorified. Praise be to God. Resurrected, alive. He hears us this morning. It's almost like we're talking... If you've ever had somebody talk about you while you're in the room, you say, hey, I'm right over here. Why are you talking like I'm not here? We often pray as if He's not there. We often preach as if He's not there. And He's right here in the room. But do you believe that? Look, I couldn't see 100 feet down to the ocean floor. But all of a sudden, I started reeling. Guy called me weak because I wasn't doing it fast enough. You know? I think he was just trying to ag me on. This morning, I'm trying to ag you on. Don't give up. In faith, let the Word of God be your weight. Don't be tossed about by every wind of doctrine, the next new thing, but be grounded in Christ. And I promise you, you're going to feel a tug at the other end. He is there. He is the God who speaks. He is the God who is there. And we, just like the Israelites, are to center our lives upon Him. We're to rally camp around Jesus. Is He your center this morning? Or are you trying to build your own little kingdom over here? Join His eternal work. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. It doesn't matter how bad things get in our world. The church is not going away. That is His body. Join the resistance. Become a rebellion against the world and the things of this world. Put to death the sin that you've been toying with and playing with. And drop anchor with Jesus. And let Him put you as a stone in His organization. Let Him place you in His church to be a beacon of light to all nations. He'll bless you because you're going to be a blessing. Don't sit on His blessings. Give. Give of your time. Give of your money. Give of yourself. Remember, God doesn't just throw money at people. He doesn't just throw books at people. He always sends a person. You are those people. The church is us. The church is us. Amen.